Yeah, a lot of this record is about family. I'm drawing from the perspective of family life, marriage, children, the what you go through, navigating work, bills, life, and the journey that you go through it. That's Kurt Newman of the Bodines. I'm Jamie Green, and this is Trading Force. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Trading Fours. I'm your host, Jamie Green, and this is episode 109. As you know, this podcast is almost three years old, and it's all about the creative process, so I was super stoked to get the chance to talk to another podcast host that is about the creative process, but in this case, the podcast host is Kurt Newman of the Bodines. Kurt Newman of the Bodines has this really cool podcast. It's called Staring at the World. He's had people on like Miles Copeland and Kenny Arnoff and Steve I. And it's a super good listen. I, I put down in the show notes how you can do so. But we're here today to talk to Kurt Newman because the Bodines, they got a new album coming out. It's coming out on June 24th. Got a chance to listen to it several times. Really like it. If you're a Bodines fan, and I know there's many of us out there, especially since they are, you know, been such a part of the Midwestern music scene for a long time, you're going to really dig this album. So Kurt dialed in to talk about the new album called The Last Time that he did everything. He played everything on it. And that always intrigues me. So let's get started. Here's my conversation with Kurt Newman of The Bodines. Well, I, I appreciate the time. It's it's really cool to get to talk to you. I've been aware of you forever. I started listening to you in college, um, and you know, it's one of the I, I, the band I was in college had the two part harmonies, and that's obviously the boating sound early on that was such a part of it and, and yeah. stuff. But let's talk about this new album because um, I really enjoyed it, and I'm always really impressed, Kurt, when somebody can do it all themselves. So for you, with this, these 10 tracks and this new album is coming out June 24th or June 28th. I, had, I saw two different dates. Which date? 24th. Okay. For the Last Time is the name of the album. Um, so you're sitting down. Let's, let's go through it. How does it start for you? Um, it's not always the same. I, I understand that like from the time Bodines were just a young local band, I would go in and I would literally just play the drums while singing the song in my head. And then I would go back and play guitars over it and bass and whatever we had to do to build it up um, into a track. And then we would both go and sing on it. And um, it's, it's been that way on many, many Bodine's records. You know, there's been a few instances where we had the whole band able to track, but on many of the records, it was that building up process that I would do, and that kind of became the normal Bodine sound. So sometimes it'll do that. On this record, though, there were several songs that I just kind of started with piano only or um, a guitar only or some different looping line happening and stuff. And so when that was the scenario, um, drums weren't always the first thing on my mind. They became They came in later, but they weren't uh, as important as, as a lot of, you know, songwriting I've done throughout the years. And, uh, and when I was working with Netflix on a lot of the music I did there, they didn't really want drums on a lot of the stuff too. So I had to find ways to um, write without drums because they just, they need the music to fit around the dialogue. (laughs) So I had to write music that would work that way. And so several of those songs ended up on this as well. So um, 
it's not always first for me, but since I was a drummer growing up, it's always one of the most important things for me. I, I do think it carries the track. It defines the energy of the track and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's interesting too, what that old adage, you're as good as your drummer, right? That was always what they'd say about a band. Um, but, I, you know, so many of these songs are really beautiful too. And I, I took some notes, so I'm going to just, you know, come, come a long way. It's yeah. almost like a spiritual, Kurt. I mean, you've got yeah. the, the kind of the choir and it's all about forgiveness and your dreams and perseverance. Yeah. Um I think we're pretty yeah. clo- close in age. I'm 54. You're what? It's like 60 now. Like, yeah, as we get older, right. It becomes a little bit more introspective. <laughs> yeah. A lot of this record is about family. I'm drawing from the perspective of um, family life, marriage, children, the, what you go through navigating work bills, life, and, um, and the journey that you go through it come a long way is uh, all about that. It's all about that journey of a relationship, whether it's two people or a family that you've, you've, it's a real valuable thing that you've come a long way in life and you, you've survived and you're still standing you know, to face another day. And you know, you have a long way to go, but you feel that connection and you feel that strength of a family. And I think that's a, it's a thing to behold. And I think it's not quite as um, uh, popular as we think sometimes. I, I think there's a lot of broken families and stuff out there that struggle to have that positive connection and stuff like that. So it's just me kind of acknowledging and celebrating that idea that it, it's a big, important thing that you've accomplished if you can maintain that and if you can stay true to each other and uh, and and you want to keep going for another day. I think that's a that's a beautiful thing. And so that song was spiritual to me. You know, it's it's, it's a very spiritual thing. Relationships. Yeah, it's a it's interesting. You know, my kids are almost grown, um, and it, it's bittersweet, right? Because part of it is yeah. you're happy happy that they're becoming independent, <laughs> and you're happy this stuff. And then part of it's like, oh, it's over too. Correct? Uh, no, I, I absolutely hate it. I, I got it. I hated it. My kids growing up and they just don't want me to talk to them anymore. And, and um, they don't want to hear your opinion, you know, and it's like, it's nobody ever explained to me that that was just going to shut off one day <laughs> that uh, all of a sudden you're all this struggle and your worry and your concern for them in life is just going to be shut off one day. And, and I mean, we go on worrying, but all of a sudden they're going to navigate themselves and you're like, you don't even know what you're doing. You know, what are you talking about? But um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing. So I think a lot of that affected my writing on this record as well. A lot of what I was going through. And you did this as a home recording, correct? In Austin, where did you record it? Yeah, where I live, I have a studio. So I use that. I've used that for many years now and uh, it works well. And um, you know, I think gone are the days of being able to take your band out to LA and spend two months recording in a big studio. So a lot of records work this way now, and we've all had to find ways to continue um, because music's just not paying for records anymore to, to, to be made that way. So you find ways to make them and make them sound like you wanted, you know, like you, like you want them to sound. That's, that's how this one was done. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to own a recording studio right now. Cause I think that a lot of people were already kind of doing this correct, but yeah, if, 
sitting home for two years, if you've never used Pro Tools yourself or if you've never recorded yourself, but you're a full-time musician, this is this is the time to do it. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, I think there's something great about real recording studios with really great gear. And if you get a good band and a good engineer and a good studio, you've just got something real special there for making a great record. And so um, <clears throat> I know there's several good ones around the country that stay open. And I think it's for that reason, you know, it's, it's if you can do it, I highly recommend it to go in with really good people and make a great record. So early on, do you have a favorite? When I know you did stuff with T-Bone Burnett and stuff. Is there a yeah. certain studio that you really loved recording in? Um, well, I love working with T-Bone a lot. He's a great producer. He really understands the process of producing a band, um, as well as, you know, some of the engineers we worked with back then, working with Jim Scott and stuff, too. It was just... They were so, and Chad Blake, they were so, so good at what they did. They just helped us sound good. Um, so I can't pick out just one studio like that was the place to do it. There's lots of them have great gear, you know, Oceanway Studio, where we mixed some of our records. And and uh, we worked at Sunset Sound Factory, it was a tiny little studio out in Hollywood, but it served the purpose, you know, they had good gear and and good people. And so it worked. I I, I think that's more important having a great engineer with pretty good gear goes a long, long ways in making a record. And that's what I tried to pick up the most of in my years in the studio was what those guys were doing to kind of capture good sound. Because anytime you're in the studio, you just don't want to spend a lot of time messing with technical problems and stuff, you know, that can happen and you really just want to get to it. And so it's important to kind of know what you're doing to get the best sounds that way. Yeah. It's its own art form, really. It really is. I mean, unless you're all just going to use canned stuff that is in software right now, which is, you know, great too. But it, it sounds a little generic that way compared to going somewhere with a great engineer. Um, you're going to get something original sounding and it's going to sound really good for what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, uh, I'm i probably going to have to retire with the podcast, even though you're, you're episode 109, because I, I listen to yours and I really dig it. Um, and, and it's cool. Cause you're doing the creative thing too. I, you know, I, my stock line with people is like, I don't want to talk about band drama. I don't want to talk about, you know, family drama. I don't want to talk about your worst game. I'm really interested in the creative process. And I know that's true for you too. Yeah. You have your musician people on there, which we'll talk about, but then you have somebody like Soledad O'Brien on there. So what, what's, how do you decide who you want on? What's, what are you looking for? Well, when I agreed to kind of do it, that was the thought process. I've always been thinking about like, even as teaching a course someday of just what I call the creative element. When I was in school growing up, nobody was talking about creativity in any meaningful way. It was always about like, shut your mouth, read this, learn this math theorem. Here's grammar rules, learn those, which made no sense to any of us. And every time we said to the teacher, why, you know, why there was never a good answer. And in the meantime, if you wanted to be creative, it was like, well, there's an art class down the hall. Maybe you can take that's meaningless to me. Creativity was at the core of everything we do. Every great idea came from creativity, no matter how smart you are in science and math, if you're not using it in a creative way, it's useless. You know, the science and math is just a tool. And so 
I want to talk about creativity with people wherever they're working, whatever they're doing. Anyone that used intuition in life and listened to it to make a decision to do something, I kind of want to talk about that story because I want people and kids today to hear about that and think about that. That that shutting your mouth, you know, even when I put my kids in school, I took them out right away because there was that same thing, like shut your mouth walk on this line, single file. We don't want to hear your opinion kind of stuff. I was like, I, I don't want my kid to learn that. I want my kid to think I have an idea. I want to flush it out. I want to see where it goes. And I want, I think that's how we should be teaching kids every day. It should be like, what did you do creative today? What are you going to do creative today? <clears throat> that should be the most important thing we're teaching. Yeah. You know, when you were, you were talking about that, um, when I was in first grade, I, I know this is going to be hard to believe. I was a talker. Um, and <laughs> I was not. I was very, very, I hid. I literally hid in the room. Well, I just, you know, I grew up in a big Irish Catholic family and, you know, we're just very demonstrative, outgoing people. Uh, the teacher was completely unprepared, did not know what to do. And she literally put a refrigerator box around my desk and, and cord me. I made me from Kurt wow. liking school to hating it. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely hate. I hated it. I ran away from school and stuff. And, you know, you're right, because it wasn't I was a bad kid. I mean, I wasn't lighting the desk on fire. I wasn't doing something that was nefarious. I just got bored easily because I read quickly and stuff. And I so I just wanted to chat with stuff. So right, yeah. instead of channeling it the right way. She pretty much ruined it for a very long no, time. And it's, it's completely wrong. It's how they're teaching kids is completely wrong. I hope it's changing now, but it's. Not everybody's brain is the same. I got put into school when I was four years old. I didn't know how to read or write. And so from day one, I had to learn workarounds for everything. How am I going to navigate this? How, how do I figure this out? My brain developed that way. So everything I do is that way. And there should be a place for me to function that way in school. It shouldn't be about we need to change this kid's brain. I mean, my grandmother told me a story when she was in school. She was left-handed. They literally smacked her hand anytime mm -hmm. she tried to use her left hand because they needed to change it right now just think about that that's just insane you yeah. know that we want everyone to conform to this one thing it just doesn't work and so i i i learned you know i went through the school i got through the process but i tell you what i didn't learn what they wanted me to learn and i didn't learn the way they wanted me to learn it i i navigated however i could to get around it and now at that high school, they have a plaque of me up on the high school wall. Right. <laughs> you know, figure that out. But they didn't put parentheses, but we didn't like him at the time. He was, a, you know. They didn't even notice me. I was just right. a shadow on the wall. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of kids, when you're graduating, they're like, what are you going to do? I, I never had one teacher ask me what I was going to do, you know, and. I think it was just, they thought it was a miracle I was graduating or something. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know, uh, so I listened to the Miles Copeland and the, and the Kenny Arnoff uh, and a little bit of Steve Vai too. Um, they're all interesting. They're different people and stuff. I, I, you know, Kenny, I had to look up how old he is because where does he get all the energy, Kurt? I didn't, is it like cool. four espressos a day? What is he doing? I uh, no, he was born that way. That's 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 him 100%. He's always been that way. And the one thing Kenny can't do is sit in a quiet room and be still. It's, that that drives him insane. So he he needs to keep moving and so he does. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad he's a drummer, right? <laughs> 
like if he didn't drum. I think that's why it worked out so well for him is he needed that. He needed that release of energy. And so that's what he did. That's what he focused on. And he did it to a point that he could play anything with anyone anywhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, it's just fascinating all the people he's played with. And obviously he played with, how was he for you? How was that for you? He, it was great. He comes in and out with us all the time and he's done it for 27 years, which we figured was the longest he's ever played with any act. Wow. Out there. So it was nice to have that relationship with him, but just to know I can call him and say, look, I, I need someone on this run I'm doing. And he's like, yeah, I mean, if he's available, um, he's all over it. And it's always, you can depend on the best energy behind you. You know, you're not waiting for someone to, push you along he's always there and that's it's a hundred percent of the time so i think that's why people love having him yeah well i i don't want to talk too much about it, but I, I just fascinated since we're kind of a small group of people doing this um and, yeah. and you do it because you love it i do think it's interesting with the miles copeland thing you know irs was such a big deal that label yeah uh, and i don't think people realize that you know for us growing up that was like the cool label to be on um miles has had a very interesting life yeah, and he's one of those um, managers at the time who just will seem to be doing all the right things. Um, you hear about like the manager for the Beatles and stuff and people like that, and they're doing great things that you didn't expect. But uh, and even Colonel Tom Parker and stuff like we may not have liked him as a person, but he was certainly doing the right things to for his acts. And when it came to the police, somehow. He was always in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. And the things he says on the podcast about it too, like I made it easy for people to say yes. It's it's real basic philosophy, but it's certainly smart if you're trying to get this band a chance anywhere. Yeah. Say, just, just try them. You know, if you don't like it, then you don't have to pay for it, but just try it, you know? And, and it, I think it opened a lot of doors for the police and they were really talented. Right. And so it, it worked out. All you had to do was get them in the door and they would do what they did and everybody would like it. Yeah, it's really fascinating anyway. And then, and I'm, I'm perhaps, I love the police. I'm a huge police fan, um, but that would not be easy. I mean, you know, one, his brother as another drummer with a lot of energy. Yeah. And, you know, and Sting is incredibly talented, but I don't think Sting would be real easy. <laughs> Andy seems like the most low key one. Um, that's talk about juggling, right? I mean, that's a lot of part. There's a lot of parts you trying yeah. to keep all that happy. And I'm sure part of it too is like, well, I can't look like I'm making my brother the favorite. That's <laughs> part of it too. No. And I, I pushed him on that a little bit. He didn't give me the answer. I wanted him because I grew up hearing about just legendary fights in that band. And then he was like, oh, that was just more talk. It didn't really happen, but I think it probably did. It's just, uh his way to not talk about it so much, you know, and um, he was saying, if it bleeds, it leads kind of explaining it away. I was like, I'm sure a lot of people were bleeding <laughs> uh, the legendary fights that were going on, but um, it's tough sometimes. Yeah. When you have really creative people with visions like that and, and you give them a lot of money and fame and power, things like that tend to happen. And it's a recipe for disaster in many ways. We've seen it happen over and over and over again out there. Yeah, it's it's why Spinal Tap is so funny because all those cliches in the Spinal yeah. Tap movie, a lot of bands go down the exact same route. I mean, Except I didn't laugh the first time I saw Spinal Tap <laughs> because I was like, I know this, right? Know this and it's just not funny to me. It's, <laughs> it's a little too close to home. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So I see you're touring a bunch like this weekend you're back. So let, yeah. let's talk. So are you, you playing, how much of the new album are you playing? How many tunes? Well, it's hard to, to get a lot in, you know, I'll try to get, you know, maybe three of the songs in unless we can do Sometimes we're allowed to do two sets where I, I enjoy that the most because I can play two hours of solid music. Then I can get more of that stuff in. It's just, we have like 14 records. So it's, I'm trying to get different amounts of eras in there and people definitely have their favorites. So, you know, about two thirds will be the old favorites. And then I try to get some new old stuff and new, new stuff in, and you try to get as much as you can that where it all fits together in jail. So at the moment we got about three or four that were able to play at any time in the set. And then I try to switch them out on different nights for people and stuff like that. Do you have a favorite? I'll play as much as people want to hear. It's just typically they don't always know the new stuff as well as the old stuff. So you're trying to navigate that, but I, I, I'm happy to play as much of it as they want to hear. Yeah. Is there a favorite that translates really well live off the new album? Um, you got to go crazy. It definitely fits right in the set because it's yeah. just got great energy and it's lots of fun. And so everybody has been responding really well to that because it, it's just a classic fun Bodine song. And um, I think a little more time is pretty much the same, just a late seventies kind of rock song. We've been, uh, we haven't played come a long way live yet, but we'll probably be playing that one soon enough in, in some of the quieter spots and, and uh, we'll take it from there a little bit at, at a time and see what people are responding to. Cause some of the stuff is just like how to say goodbye and love their big, beautiful songs, but we have uh, kind of this uplifting high energy show and they don't always fit there or it depends on the place you're in to make them work really well. But I'm, I would always be happy to play it for someone if they wanted it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I in my notes here, I, I said a little more time is one of the, the tunes I wanted to talk about because I said, this is a, like a classic Bodine's tune. It just, it just yeah. sounds, I mean, within three seconds of hearing that tune, you know who it is. And it, it, it's, I mean, they're all catchy, but this is a super catchy one. So I could see why you're wanting to do this live. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I dedicate it to Tom Petty on the record because um, when I first started writing it, it, it reminded me of a late seventies Petty song. And I literally was singing it like Tom Petty's voice when I was first writing it, because <clears throat> it just reminded me so much of something he might write. And Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers kind of gave so much music to me growing up that I just wanted to dedicate it to them for that reason as giving back a little bit, but it is definitely the classic rock song that we always loved and we grew up on. So there's always been songs like that on our records. Two years of sitting in your house, basically. What did you learn about yourself or did you learn anything about yourself? <laughs> um, I, well, I'm learning all the time. It's, it's never stopped. I've had episodes in my life where I lived alone. I was living out in a house on 10 acres out in the country once for about a year really not communicating with anyone to the point that police came to the door to see if I was still alive. Um, and you learned a lot about yourself in those type of years when you have that amount of time and space. It was kind of like Bodine's had come to a, sort of an end and or a hiatus, maybe call it. And um, that year kind of, I relearned who I was because with the first 10, 12 years of the band, that's so much of your identity that you forget who you are separately 
and all those separate kind of values and likes and dislikes that you had and stuff because you're pushing through as a band so much. It's kind of like a family, you know, you have to compromise and work together for it to be successful. And when that kind of stopped, I, I remembered who I was and I learned a lot about it myself again back then. And uh, it opened up a lot of what I'd like to do musically and stuff like that too, is I keep thinking of some other things I want to do musically. I haven't really got to them yet, <laughs> but I feel like now I'm always kind of learning about myself as you get older, like you said, as your kids grow up and stuff like that, you learn a lot about yourself. And I continue to always learn about myself. It wasn't the pandemic that did it though. Um, I was a little more used to being alone uh, by then. Like a lot of people, I think it really affected like being locked up in, but I, I have spent a lot of my life, you know, locked up alone, working on music, uh, and, and I'm pretty comfortable that way. You know, it's really interesting because I think the perception of people, especially front people, um, that they're all super extroverted and they're super outgoing. They're super, and yeah. I, but I, I found many front people to be yeah. pretty either extremely introverted or pretty introverted. Yeah, very much. I was always very, very introverted all through like high school and school and stuff like that. And it wasn't until being on stage and that I, I found a, I felt really good and safe up there. But when I step back and think about the idea of going up to a microphone and yelling into a middle of a room of people, it's an odd premise. You know, it's, it's, it's a very strange thing um, that an introvert would want to do, but um, somehow it makes sense when you're there doing it, you know? And uh, I think it's because you're kind of speaking about things that we all relate to together and we can all sing together. And so it makes that kind of sense, but I always felt much safer, you know, playing music on stage than I did anywhere else. It's really Zen. Do you find that? Cause you can't be like thinking about paying the bills. You can't be thinking, you know what I'm saying? Like you got to be focused on what you're doing right then and there. And, and that interaction with the crowd. Um, I, I, and I'm a schmo, Kurt, I'm a schmo. Yeah. Uh, but if I start want, if I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing, that's the first I'll, I'll screw up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it's, I, like don't, a, uh, I don't, I forget a lot of times actually what, what I'm doing or what's going on. I, I, there's some kind of energy that's happening in a crowd of people with music going on and a group of people playing music that I, I go to a different place. Um, Sometimes I literally forget a crowd is sitting there because it just feels like whatever's happening is almost like you're on a, a ride, riding it along. It's a weird headspace to be in, but, but that's kind of the best I can describe it. It's not like a conscious thing, but it is kind of like it's happening on its own. I don't feel like I'm making it happen. It feels more like it's just something I'm riding along with. And it's always been that way. And so um, I think it's important to let that happen because there's some kind of energy happening between the band and the crowd and everybody together in a room that is really important. And, and you have to let that happen. At least, I mean, I always felt we did. I never felt like we were someone standing there performing for somebody. I felt like we were all working together. And so that's the headspace I get in. And it's not like a conscious thing, like, that you do like to make a sandwich, you know, you think you, what you're doing is to put it all together. It doesn't feel like that. It feels more unconscious. Totally. 
totally. <laughs> well, and it, it's, I've always loved going to live music and it was so weird not being able to do it. Um, and the first show I got to go back to was, uh, it was part of, uh, I don't even remember what they called it, but Living Color was on the bill and I just love Living Color. And um, I, I got a little choked up, man. Like you just never thought it was going away. And then when it goes away, you can't believe it's gone away and then you really miss it. And it was so, and those guys great. They still sound amazing. Yeah. Um, it's like an old friend has come back almost. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, that's what you hope for, you know, music is so personal and that people have very personal connections to it. And people were really emotional to us when we first <clears throat> did our first shows and stuff too. They're like, just talking about how we needed this so much. We just needed this, you know? <laughs> and uh, I think it is important. I, I feel the arts have slipped away in our culture too of we've devalued it so much that um, I think it's a mistake. I think our society, our species really needs the, the arts in them. We need to sing together. It heals us. It keeps us united, actually. You know, I swear to God, if if you got United States and Russia and Ukraine in a room and sang songs together, nobody would be fighting anymore. It would just be like we we would realize we're just one one thing and we're all in it together. But it's when we devalue all this and we push all the magic stuff away, we forget. And then we get into all this trouble. So I'm hoping we start to... Uh, realize the importance of music and arts in our culture again. Amen to that. Well, it's such a pleasure. I'll be sure to put in the show notes, uh, the new release date, the new album, the website where they can follow you, what you're doing. Like I said, you've got quite a few shows on the books coming up pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, the new album will be out very quickly as well. This actually will go up on Friday. Um, and I'll send the link to Steve and make sure you guys can send it out as much stuff. Um, I've been asking people as kind of a wrap up, you know, I try to do a theme for a year. So uh, I'm a huge vinyl person. Mm. Not, not only did I never throw my vinyl out, which is amazing because when CDs came out, everybody's like, Oh God, get rid of your vinyl CDs is the way to go. Yeah. But I, I kept, but my dad, who we talked about briefly, <laughs> the, the jazz musician, he yeah. had, I don't know, 300 albums, all mm. like first run jazz albums. And it's yeah, down yeah. on it. It's down in my basement. So my question for everybody, selfishly, because I want to, you know, make it even a better uh, record collection is what's a vinyl album I should have that I probably don't. Hmm. Um, I don't know which one you wouldn't have. There's uh, I just a couple of years ago bought a Van Morrison collection on, on vinyl uh, again, because they've re-released a lot of those great records. So um, that's a great one. Anything Van Morrison did on vinyl always sounds really beautiful. And then I tend to listen to a lot of jazz music myself, but I like this stuff from the kind of mid fifties era. And so I'm a big Stan Getz fan. Oh yeah. Lee Kunitz, stuff like that. Um, I really like those guys. So um, there's a record I listen to a lot with Stan Getz and Oscar Peterson trio. Yeah, I think it was recorded in 1958. Anything around that era, I would try to grab on vinyl and uh, be happy to put it on. Did you see the Oscar Peterson documentary that just came out in the last I couple years? No, I didn't know there was one. I'll, I'll check that, it out. That guy. Yeah, he's phenomenal. He's just a, a monster. 
Um, and and he could sing. Did you know he could? I didn't know he could sing so well. I was like, I didn't. No, I haven't heard anything from him singing. I'm just not. It's gonna annoy. It. It's gonna annoy you, Kurt. <laughs> what knocked me out about him the most though was his timing. I, I, his his timing is like nothing I've ever heard before when he plays. It's just so good and. Um, so yeah, I love all that stuff, but that's, that's the kind of stuff I would recommend people put on and here. And I bought a record player and some records for my daughter last Christmas because I was, you know, I wanted her to get back into that. And what I got for her was Bing Crosby's, um, classic Christmas songs, because there's nothing like that voice, uh, during Christmas singing those songs too on vinyl. So those, those are all recommendations I would give people. No, that's great. No, it's such a visceral thing too, just to put it down and put it on the needle on it and just sit back. Yeah. And I like how, you know, we kind of got, we're going to sound like old farts, but whatever. How, you know, they gave a lot of thought to how they put their album sequentially. Yeah. And listening it from to beginning to end is really cool. It's, yeah, it's a completely different environment. That's well, that's what I try to do with records too, though. I, I don't, what I liked about albums is they weren't super long too. You, on a jazz record, you might have five songs and a uh, contemporary one, you might have eight, you know, um, and you really got to know those songs that way. I think when people put like 17, 18, 20 songs, I think it's too much for the listener sometimes. And so I try to keep mine down to like 10, 11 songs at the most on, on any on any release, because I want people to really when it finishes in 50 minutes, I want them to want to hear it again, you know, and put it on again. So. I think that was a beautiful thing about vinyl is it put a nice limit on what you could release and, yeah. and it for a good listening experience. Yeah. Yeah. It makes, it forces you to be concise in a way. Yeah. No limits are, are can be good in, in an artistic process. I think they they can be really good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a total joy for me. Like I said, I've been a fan for a long time and I've always loved your voice, especially. I wish I could sing like you. Um, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for, you know, spreading the word on the release. Happy to do it. You be safe, okay? All right, you too. All right, take care. Bye. Kurt Newman, everybody. Again, the new album comes out just in a few weeks. The Last Time is the name of the album. It comes out on June 24th. That was a fascinating chat. Always nice to have kindred spirits wanting to talk about the creative process. If, if you're into the soap opera part of music, this is not the podcast for you. I uh, I just have no interest in it. You know, that's, that, go read People Magazine, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm just fascinated how people make it work creatively for them and, and, and where they come from. And, and Kurt obviously was great with that. Very in, introspective. I, I appreciate it how much that uh, we talked about that. And also Oscar Peterson. If you people don't know how freaking good Oscar Peterson was, stop right now and go listen to him. He was fabulous. Okay, that's going to do it for this time. Uh, I'm, I'm taking a week off. I've got live shows going on. i got foot resting up. I, I, you know, we just got over a tornado, apparently touched down 95th Street, which is about a mile from my house, so I need a little time off, folks. But from two weeks from today, Carla Olson, Carla Olson of the Techstones fame, who's done a ton of stuff, uh, Mick Taylor, the list goes on and on, she is uh, going to be joining me to talk all about this Americana Railroad album. 
that features railroad themed songs from people like John Fogarty, Dave Alvin, Peter Case. The list goes on and on. So that's uh, two weeks from today. And then one last thing. I brought up Molly Hammer a while ago. And for those of you who are not in Kansas City, Molly Hammer was a phenomenal jazz singer and just such a sweet, kind, beautiful human being who battled breast cancer for years with grace and dignity and joy after succumbing to it about two years ago. There has been a real effort to not only remember Molly, but to celebrate Molly, and a part of that this Sunday at the Black Box. And this is all down in the show notes, so if you're in Kansas City, please come check it out. They are going to be doing yet a Molly's Community, a fundraiser for Cancer Action Incorporated. Tons of great Kansas City musicians are playing on this. Ebony Fondren is uh, kind of the MC of this, but there's going to be people Joe Cartwright, Steve Ragazzi, Natalie Bates, Shay Estes, Katie Gilchrist, Spencer Brown. The list goes on and on. I mean, I'd be, I'd be reading for a long time. So be sure, if you've got a couple bucks, come out, say hello. I am going to come out to that. And let's celebrate Molly's life and do some good work too. So that's going to do it for this episode of Trading Fours. You know what I'm going to say? Go out. Support live music. We'll talk real soon. Bye-bye.